Welcome to Cypherspeak, Artifacts, Ciphers, and Podities. I knew that dame was trouble the moment she walked into my office. <laughs> Welcome to the PI-flavored uh, 1920s <laughs> issue of Cypherspeak, everybody. Uh, and I'm here with Darcy, who is a sultry dame who has tricks up her sleeve. And I'm here with my co-host, Troy, a blundering vampire hunter who is lucky to still have his head. And this is Cypherspeak. And uh, yeah, welcome. Uh, today, uh, we are going to talk about investigative games and uh, a little bit about kind of those games in general. And then more specifically, how to run those games in Cypher, some ideas about what you can do to modify your Cypher game to run uh, an investigative, you know, themed game or arc uh, within your cipher game, whatever that game may be. Exactly, and um, both of us are going to be drawing uh, from, you know, I think multiple systems here. Part of that is that I've just been running Invisible Sun, and so that's a game a lot about secrets and mysteries and unfurling of, um, you know, like threads of of clues and things. So. You know, Invisible Sun has a lot of um, secrets and mystery wrapped up in it, but also Gumshoe is a system both of us really are drawn to and shares quite a bit with Cypher. I think we've talked about it in the past. And so Gumshoe is a game that's it's really built around running a mystery, um, dealing with clues, having players be able to um, tell a great story and not get stuck into corners because they didn't find the right clue, right? So Gumshoe powers a number of games like Trail of Cthulhu, which is, you know, a Call of Cthulhu, but using Gumshoe. Uh, it powers Knight's Black Agents, which is a game that Troy has been running for a while now where you're playing vampire hunters functionally, uh, which is super cool. And it also powers things like Bubble Gumshoe, which is, if anyone has seen Veronica Mars, which is a an just amazing TV show about a young high school Kristen Bell sleuthing around her California town. <laughs> um, it's it's super good and super dark and beautiful. And so Bubblegum Shoe is kind of the we're young sleuths and uh, mm-hmm. dealing with um, kind of high school, you know, issues in addition to trying to solve, you know, maybe a murder or something, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, those are all really cool uh, gumshoe games. And there's a several others as well uh so if you are interested in that system uh definitely go and check it out uh, i do like it a lot in my running of uh, knights black agents so so as we dive into the topic the first thing we want to talk about a little bit is you know just some general stuff on how to run an investigative game and things that maybe you need to think about differently from a normal game and the first one of these is the most important thing about your mystery is your characters have to find your clues or get your clues or receive them in some way. Um, this doesn't necessarily mean you have to hand the clues to the players. Like here's your, you know, you walk into the room and here's your clue. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be that, but you have to be really careful about like gating clues behind a skill check or something that could fail. Um, or, you know, putting it somewhere where the characters might not go, uh, things like that. So um, I, th- I think you have to be super kind of careful, um, you know, 
when you kind of decide how to do this. And this is one of the things that basically makes gumshoe what it is, is that if you have the skill in, you know, medicine, you immediately can like look at the body and get like the main clue. Uh, you can maybe spend some points to get more clues, but you are pretty much guaranteed to get the base clue that you need to move forward with the adventure. Additional information might help you or make it easier or help you better prepare for what you're going to find at the end, but that base clue is coming regardless. Yeah, and I, what I like about that is it's less like just give your players the clues, right? It's not just your the players are along for a received story because it it recognizes like that it kind of validates that player's choice to pick that skill and so even though it doesn't tie it to a role it feels like it's something the player can feel uh kind of proud of and happy they made that choice right right and the other thing that i think is interesting from a a gumshoe perspective if you look at some of the pre-written adventures a lot of clues can be gotten in several different ways depending on how the characters choose to kind of approach a scene, right? If they walk into an office and there's like a whole bunch of papers and there is, um, you know, a computer and maybe there is a safe on the wall, right? They could use, uh, you know, digital intrusion to hack into the computer. They could use research to rummage through the notes, uh, or they could use, um, I'm going to forget the skill name now, but um, uh, yeah, I can't remember the skill name, but whatever to crack the safe, right? Mm-hmm. So your clue could be in whichever one of those three areas um, and, or maybe there's different clues or slightly different ones in all the areas, but ultimately whichever one they kind of choose to gravitate towards, um, they would be able to move forward with that particular thing. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, we're we're not going to to dive into cipher just yet, but this kind of thinking reminds me of the instant adventure format, which I really like uh, that cipher has used, where you know it's usually a two page spread of kind of a map or uh, abstract um, layout of different scenes that people could go into, and and so you have this web of places or scenes players could have, and they have on the side a little call-out box for each scene, like the kinds of clues or keys to the adventure that, that people could get. And so, you know, to like to complete the adventure, they probably need uh, key A, B, and C. But those those keys could be hidden or could be you could reveal them like in any one of those scenes. And so you work you work that clue in so that players are you know, not on a railroad, they're making their own decisions about where to go, but at any decision they make is still going to progress them along the mystery. So I like that kind of quantum superposition, Schrodinger's clue uh, layout. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, I hadn't really thought of that, but that is a good point. Uh, I think the instant adventure layout does really uh, speak to that uh, quite a bit. Uh, I think the next thing that you have to do, uh, as much as it may pain you, depending on how you like to run games, uh, is you do have to write up like some sort of kind of, uh, some people call it a spine or a general summary, uh, basically a what actually happened for your mystery. Right. Maybe it changes a little as the characters discover things or, you know, you come up with some better ideas as you go along. But Ultimately, if you want to be giving out clues, you need to know what those clues are ultimately driving towards so that you can provide meaningful clues to your players. 
Right. You have to have something solid so that you're not picking a random answer that then invalidates the other truths of your of your mystery, right? It can be really hard to... Re- having reverse engineered a mystery out of random clues I'd been giving for an entire campaign, oh God, it was horrible. <laughs> you know, you have to retcon. There's, it just gets a, to be a mess. So can you talk to me about... Can you give me an example of like how much of, is a spine to you, like what you use? Were you like, okay, there's a big bad, here's what they want, here's one thing they did that the players see? Like how... What does your spine look like? Um, so I think for what I can talk a little bit about for Dracula is um, what we have in our spine, and I have to be a little careful because I know at least one of my players listens, I so I can't I, I can't go you know too deep into the specifics. But in general terms, you know there are a couple of factions at play in the world, and we are have kind of defined what those factions' goals are and how roughly they're going about accomplishing those goals. So it's a little different. You know, it's not like a murder mystery, right, where you're trying to, like, uncover who did it. Uh, But, like, in that case, like, if I was doing a murder mystery, I would think about it a little bit like the game of Clue, right? Establish where they did it, who did it, how they did it, and why they did it, right? So you kind of, if you can establish those things then your clues can kind of lead to that, right? So um, if you need to if if you need to point the players to where it was done, you can drop some clues to, you know, that it was in the parlor. And then if you need to let them know that it was, you know, with the wrench, you know, you can talk about different things, you know, to get them there. Yeah, it's, do you take really, um, do you take a lot of notes after a session to like write down the the hard facts that you've, given the players or does it not matter too much um no we definitely take notes to know what we have told the players um you know and i also ask i I think an important thing in a mystery is actually to get back from your players what they think that you have told them cool yeah um you know that's that's something we do quite a bit and sometimes have to correct them right right um you know like oh no i didn't really say that like I said close to that but I didn't quite say that and I think the important thing here is if you're going to do corrections like that you should do it for facts that are super important and facts that are not as important because otherwise they will pick up on it yep Um, you know another thing I know um, you know that you can do as far as like what your key core clues are like some people write those down ahead of time on note cards so that when they find the clue they can put the clue out on the table Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like, hey, it's always out in front of people that, you know, you found this thing and, oh, yeah, that's right. We found this thing. It's like a concrete anchor to build yep. your theories around. That yep, requires absolutely. more prep than I'm perhaps willing to make for almost anything. <laughs> but uh, Me as well. But, <laughs> you know, uh, oh, and, you know, you can write them up at the table, too, that's as true. you, you know, kind of. You know, once you know that that's a core clue, you know, you can write it down and throw it out there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so general investigative tips. We know we want to have ways for the characters to actually get the clues through many, you know, and everything that that takes. You want to have a general spine of your mystery for yourself so that you're giving out clues that are consistent and that, you know, answers and, you know, have a a core consistency. Um, Any other general advice you have for investigation? 
uh, my last general advice, and um, I believe that Misdirected Mark podcast goes into more depth on this, and Pandas Talk Games does as well, but don't get too clever. Mm. Um, what you think, you know the answer. What you think is super obvious clues oh, or God. like a super obvious mystery, your players may never figure out. <laughs> Right. So you don't need 15 red herrings. You don't need, um, you know, to bait and switch, uh, you know, clues on them. Um, you don't need a whole bunch of false trails. Uh, some of that is okay, but I would say until you get a feel for your group and for running mysteries, I would make the mysteries relatively straightforward so that they can, you know, Oh, we found these four clues. We put them together. We know who the bad guy is and we can go unmask him. Um, you know, let them have some success before you like just totally run them off the rails and they, you know, basically get frustrated, right? That they can't solve it. Yeah, because I, I feel like a lot of times in RPGs, you're, the mystery is kind of the first step. You then have to, you know, now you know who the mm-hmm. murderer was and you have to go deal with them, right? Like yeah. that's yeah. that can be a whole adventure. So it's not like, it's not going to feel fizzly if it goes too fast, It you know. It, right. players will surprise you by overthinking the simple things you put in front of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that that's kind of all I have for, for general tips. So, um, so Darcy, you know, why don't you talk to me about, you know, like if you just are running a, a Numenera game, um, or a strange, you know, kind of whatever your preferred cipher system is, what would you do to just, if you wanted to insert like a mystery into that game, but it's not maybe the full focus of your entire campaign? Ooh, good question. Do you mean mechanically or narratively? Um, well, I'm thinking that, you know, this would be mostly narratively, but maybe some mechanics within the games themselves, right? I mean, because if you're just, if you're running a, let's say you've been running a Numenera game for nine months, and now you want to, you know, have a four session arc that's a mystery. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily want to overhaul the entire base mechanics of the game, right? Because maybe after this you're gonna go back to, you know, more ruins adventuring. Mm-hmm. So so what can you do kind of I guess within the framework of what we already have for Numenera, for instance, um, you know, or the Cypher System rulebook, you know, that that doesn't they don't have to remake characters. They don't have to do anything like that. Right. Um, so just narratively, I, I want to talk about how to get um, your train on your fun roller coaster of adventure onto <laughs> a mystery. And I think, you know, when you're in, you know, it's it's always easier if you have the buy-in of a session zero of like, we are going to be playing a mystery, you know, using Cypher, right? Mm-hmm. But it can also be fun to have something turn into a mystery. And I think what's been really successful for GMs and myself in the past is to, you know, if you've been running for a number of sessions, like players have to really get invested to go dig out this mystery. Like you you really want that investment. And I think one of the best ways to do it is to have the NPC they most love or some place is threatened, right? Like you have to find what they are really, really motivated to, to save, to avenge, you know, things like that. So I think the biggest way to get your players onto that is is by building the biggest emotional hook you can. And then, you know, as things are starting to become a mystery, right, they're going to, you know, maybe you've been out uh, battling 
cray monsters in in the strange <laughs> and so you've been fighting and you've been exploring and you've been talking to people and now you need to like you know look through a room for clues right like you might that you might have that difference in activity and so that that's when i would sort of start introducing things like um i would especially take a good look at their character sheets right and look at their skills and do do the gumshoe thing of pointing things out to the players without a role that just say, you know, as as Troy's character explores this room, uh, he has a skill, he has training in, what do you have training in, Troy? Um, I am trained in uh, stone cutting. Stone cutting, perfect. So you can tell that there's actually a, a false wall on the, on the far uh, on the far wall, and so that's of course of interest to people. And this other character has a uh, has training in, let's see, um, biology. Okay, and so this this character notices that there are horrible little Arden bugs that uh, only congregate around a dead body. So a dead body has been here recently, right? And so mm-hmm. this isn't solving anything for anybody, but it's starting to give the whiff of mystery and getting people curious about that door in in the back and so not calling for roles this is a big thing that um monty talked about in his don't randomize fun seminar which is on youtube or will be shortly definitely will be by the time this airs and it's about not hiding the fun things behind roles so it's sort of a a bigger category than not hiding the clues behind roles interesting so yeah there's like mechanically i would start pointing out to to characters to, to players what they're character skills and experience give them right and i might even do it by type right like you know they may not have the skill you know a a fighty type might not have a have a skill like training in something relevant but they are very experienced in you know weapons and uh fighty things so i might just give it to them at based on the kind of type they are too right sure absolutely you know like a glaive probably has enough experience with dead bodies that if they if somebody was killed with a weapon of some sort, right, they probably have a general idea of what kind of weapon that was, right, or maybe how the person wielded it. Yeah, that's a great point. And something that occurs to me talking about this, as it always does in this podcast, is <laughs> um, do we really need to restrict ourselves to skills in Cypher? Because I think we could also... You know, it might be fun to call out things that are in people's descriptor, which often gives them skills. Mm. So that mm-hmm. might be kind of overlapping. So their descriptor type or focus, I would I would feel those are free, you know, fair game for finding a way to get the characters to to be able to notice something. I think calling upon any of those are cool. Um, maybe even flavors too, right? Which presumably give you skills and abilities that you can call on, but. I think if I were going to prep for a session that I knew was going to be mystery, I would probably write down for each character uh, their character sentence, their skills, and then um, any flavors I know they've taken. Just choices they've made as a player that I can plug into. So that's that's one thing I would do. Yeah, I mean, I think I really like that, you know, basically that it's it's essentially you know, hey, based on what you have, you're going to get these clues. And and I think when you're doing this, I think the important thing is to point out, you know, it's not, oh, hey, Darcy, you see these little bugs on the floor that are around dead bodies. No, it's, uh, hey, um, Liliana, you see 
uh, these bugs on the floor because you have training in biology, right? Point out to them why they are getting this information. Right. Um, and depending on how much time you have too, it might be fun to like say, you've seen these bugs before. It was the time that you were mm. around a dead body. What was, you know, what was that moment? You know, give them a chance to give their, their backstory, their flashback. Right. And then if you want to, you know, kind of make it a little more gumshoey without necessarily, you know, having to dive really far away from Cypher, um, allow them to whatever uh, pool that skill is based on, spend effort to maybe get more information, right? Like, you know, more than just these bugs congregate around dead bodies, you can tell by how many bugs are still alive and how many are dead, how long ago the dead body was here, maybe if you spend a level of effort. Yeah. And I think it's a good point to call out that if you, if you haven't tinkered with the rules to make it a purely investigative campaign, like when it becomes a mystery, you can fall into the trap of all the intellect characters are going to do better because they're thinking about stuff and getting clues and deducing Mm -hmm. things better. And so, but it doesn't have to be that, right? You can, I, I think it's totally reasonable to let people spend effort from a pool that's more physical, like might or speed, if it's related to a skill they have, right? So even if they are not breaking things, which is their might skill, um, <laughs> they might be able to understand how people break things, right? And so if there's mm-hmm. a a break-in or, you know, a smashed safe or, or vase, maybe they can spend that effort to to deduce a clue about like what it would have taken for someone to do this. Like, oh, this person had to have been at least this high because you just can't get leverage on it. And they, you know, had to be at least this strong and wear this size shoe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think think that that's the key, right, is that in a mystery, and this is, you know, one thing, again, that Gumshoe does is it tries to make sure everybody has some skills that they can use, you know, kind of regardless if they're the bruiser or the brain. They all have some skills that can be used as part of the investigation. So make sure that you kind of allow characters to be flexible and use their skills and their pools, you know, to the best of their ability. Absolutely. Um, So there's another Cypher System rulebook mechanic called Inspiration. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Troy, or...? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar to the, the spend effort to get clues and that, but I think that you could have this as a fallback for if your characters get stuck, right? Um, so inspiration is basically a spend, I believe it is from intellect, that, you know, the character gets some bit of knowledge or information where, you know, that kind of propels the story forward. So, you know, if if your players kind of get stuck and they just don't know like where to go or maybe what to what to do next or how to put the clues together. Um, you know, this can be kind of a fail safe almost to say, okay, who wants to spend some inspiration to move along? So now you could, you know, have some disadvantage to this as well. Like if, if they haven't been able to put the clues together, maybe it just takes them more time and the enemy is more prepared or, um, you know, the person they're trying to track down is, in the next city or something, you know, has more of a head start, but ultimately they still get on the trail they need to go on. Yeah. And I think inspiration can be a great thing to offer when players are spinning their wheels, Mm -hmm. trying to infiltrate a place or, 
you know, doing this elaborate planning and not feeling like they're reaching a plan they feel good about, you can be like, there's, here's an opportunity for inspiration for a, a helpful bit of knowledge. And they can, you know, they can choose whether to take it or not, or they can choose whether they want to do it on their own. But, uh, it can be things like, I think the book lists an example of, you know, the guard on the Eastern corridor has a, like every, every two hours goes and takes a smoke break. And so you, you know, you have kind of an in there. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I guess talking about how I like to mix mechanics and, and bring things together. Uh, I did run a game, uh, a while ago. I ran it a couple times and, uh, the start of the game is an escape room where I, you know, I literally had like a bunch of locks and puzzles and stuff on the table that the characters had to discover. So, cool. um, and, uh, you know, they had to get out of this room. It was like their first, you know, part of the adventure. And then they kind of went on to figure out who put them in the room and stuff. But I knew going in, I'm like, well, one of the pitfalls of this, you know, is what if they don't get out of the room? <laughs> you know, then, yeah. <laughs> then there is no remainder of the adventure. So I had built right in that, you know, hey, if you get stuck, you can use inspiration. Uh, but what's going to happen is then I'm going to tick up the the horror die mechanic, right? I'm going to you know, make those intrusions happen on, you know, a more regular basis. So that's a cool cost. Yeah. You know, so yeah, if you're using that in your game, um, you know, that's an interesting thing that you could add in for, for inspiration. Mm, I like that. So these are a couple things you can slip into your campaigns when you want a mystery arc, but I think there's some other things you could do if you were going to tinker and really set your characters up and your story up for a a having investigation at the core of your campaign yeah so if you're if you're kind of starting your campaign and you want it to be focused around a mystery like a really big one or you know a series of mysteries you know maybe your characters are private detectives in the ninth world um you know uh and uh side note uh hit us with whatever your private detective agencies are called, you know, send those to us on Twitter, uh, oh, yeah. world detective agencies. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you can do some, some additional things. So the first thing that comes to mind for me is basically creating a, a fourth pool specifically for investigative use. Again, basically modeling it really closely after gumshoe. So, um, this pool would have whatever investigative skills your characters have tied to it. And this is where they would make spends to get clues, right? So if they have the skill, they get the basic clue, but if they want to know more, they have to kind of spend from this investigative pool. Um, and you can decide whether you just want them to spend one, you know, like gumshoe or spend a level of effort, like, you know, the kind of standard for cipher system games, Um, One thing I would do is I would not allow this pool to refresh as frequently as kind of your normal pools, because if you're running a mystery, I think one thing that's important is you want to have to some degree, you know, they all, you always want them to get the base clues, but you want them to have to decide about what kind of clues they want to know more about. Cause it's just not as fun if they're like, Oh, you know, Hey, let's blow all of our investigative skills pools in these two rooms and then we'll just go to bed for the night we'll wake up in the morning have them refreshed like 
I would refresh it at the end of the arc or the mystery that you're, you know, piece that you're working on. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, you want to feel, I feel like part of the fun of a mystery is is the, the sensation that there are things you don't get and you just need to uh-huh. like piece it together with your, with the holes, holes and all, you know? Yep, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of something I've been playing around with exactly how, you know, I would put that together. But I think, you know, some sort of pool for your investigative skills. Um, another thing that Gumshoe does that I think is cool is it gives you a list of all of the potential investigative skills that are going to be needed in this game and then forces your player group to cover them all. You know, so I don't know that I necessarily have as exhaustive of a list as Gumshoe does, but if you have, you know, two or three skills per character, you know, so if you're running for four people, you have 12 skills, you say, okay, everybody decide amongst yourself how you're going to divide up these 12 skills so that everyone has one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, however you want to present a clue, you know, there'll always be somebody around that can get it. Yeah. And one thing the, uh, Trail of Cthulhu. Well, the gumshoe, in, I'm, I'm not sure what it's called. I'm so sorry. The one-on-one, the one-player, one-GM oh, yep. mm-hmm. uh, adventures of, you know, basically Call of Cthulhu using gumshoe. What they yep. do, because, of course, one person isn't going to have every investigative skill, is that the skills your character doesn't have, you have contact. And so sure. it's like when you're investigating horrible space bugs you go to diane down the street who loves horrible space bugs and is going to give you the intel you need and which kind of creates cool role-playing moments so Mm -hmm. i would i would really really steal from that in in a campaign i did where we talk about what skills people want to take try to get a decent distribution but accept that sometimes you know there's skills you guys don't take care to take on um, and put those into context, especially, I mean, that also depends on you being kind of rooted in a place, which might not be very relevant for something like Numenera, where you're traveling a lot, unless you're, you know, building a community you come back to. Sure. Unless they have like an artifact, uh, oh, yeah. that, you know, lets them talk to the data sphere and right. there's like some remnant of a person in the data sphere <laughs> that knows about space bugs. That's a great point. I like that a lot. You know, so yeah, no, that's a really good point. You know, yeah, not the characters don't necessarily have to have all the answers and it does create interesting role play if you if they have to go to somebody else to kind of, you know, hey, we found this stuff. Can you look at it and piece it together for Mm us? Um, And then that can be the person that you kidnap for the next mystery. Oh, yes. It's the emotional hook. (laughs) I love that. Um, And I think my last uh, kind of idea for you know a long-term campaign is is kind of a simple one is just you know maybe think about giving your players like a couple extra skills at the beginning or maybe an extra skill every time they tear up or something like that Uh, just to uh, you know you're going to find in these games that the more skills and the more ways they can kind of look for clues the more interesting that it'll be Mm -hmm. Um, so the more variety they have um, and they might find that hey you know a couple of us really want this skill because sometimes we split up or whatever and we want to be able to more easily kind of maneuver that. Right. Splitting the party is a great point to have a little overlap. So that's kind of some of the things that I would do, I think, if I was kind of creating a campaign, you know, from the ground up. And and then like Darkusy was talking about, I think that you need to be really upfront in your session zero, probably about two things. You know, one, that, hey, we're basically running an investigative version of the cipher system. So it's going to feel a little bit different. And, you know, 
XP is probably going to be handed out based on, you know, how you're doing discovering things about the mystery, you know, whereas yeah. in kind of a regular Ninth World game, it's discovering things about the world, right? Or discovering, you know, interesting things. Um, so a little bit of change there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that you just need to be upfront so that they're aware and, and probably also let them know that, hey, you're kind of, you know, hacking this stuff because a crazy person on a podcast told you about it. And, uh, you know, it might not work and you might have to change it after a few sessions. Mm -hmm. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah, um, I put Invisible Sun on here, but I, I don't have any strong, like, salient advice that I feel is super relevant to everybody about mystery yet. Um, I think this might be a thing we maybe revisit when Invisible Sun is out and we can uh, talk about it more. But Invisible Sun has a lot of, can have a lot of mystery in it. You know, you're discovering secrets. It's a game about knowledge that's not, not, that is not apparent to everybody. And uh, lots of characters will take character arcs that lead them down, you know, mis mystery paths, right? So I guess one thing that's has made it easier on me is that because players have so much agency in saying what character arc they want to have, they they are coming to you with, hey, I think there's a mystery about X and I want to solve it. So they are kind of coming to you with some skeletons and some building blocks that you can build mysteries out of. And you're you're constantly trying to weave together the different arcs that different characters have. And so those are kind of my my building blocks for creating a mystery, which gives me a helpful amount of constraint, right? The mystery this character is trying to solve should have some clues that lead you to places this other character already wants to go to. And so you're trying to bring weave these things together, and that, that's been helpful for me. And the other helpful thing was, you know, like Troy said, asking the players fairly often what they think they know, uh, <laughs> what they think the answer might be, you know, if they have suspicions. Those are fun to play off of for ideas and just to see where they're at. And then talking to people outside of the campaign about my mysteries has been in, in any mystery arc I've ever run has been so key having someone I can like I, I need to verbally talk out potential solutions to this mystery before I can really uh, solve it for myself and sometimes I can do that by if I write it out but it's definitely better if I have a partner in crime to give me good ideas and feedback and to like Troy said you know the answer that seems very obvious to you may never get reached by the players. So having even an N of one to test it against is huge. Yeah, it's it's definitely not a bad idea to, well, A, I, I think that, you know, go back to our CoGM's uh, episode, right? And I think you can leverage a lot of things there for around how you want maybe to, to use another person. But then uh, on top of that, even just taking your mystery and present your whatever your five core clues and your base story yeah. to somebody and say, who do you think, you know, these are all the players involved. What, what do you think happened? Cool. And, and you know, if, if they can get pretty close, you can be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like it's probably a solvable mystery. If they're like, I have no idea. And they're like, Oh, well, it's really obvious. The gardener did it. And they're like, <laughs> what? how <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and if, if they you know if they can't piece it together you know even like when they know the answer then it probably means it only makes sense in your head yep <laughs> <laughs>
So, all right. So that's been uh, kind of our foray into Cypher System Mysteries. You know, let us know what you, have you run, you know, mysteries in the cipher system? Did you do anything differently uh, when you ran it? Or did you just kind of, you know, go go with kind of the cipher system as is? Um, any other mystery tips that we should be aware of? Uh, definitely send those our way. Yeah, um, I wanted to say one more thing. And that's just can we can we give as a joint potity as we reach our potity section, like any suggested material people should watch for ideas one thing that occurs to me is that especially in a game where you're playing Numenera or the Strange and then you want a mystery arc to happen, you're not playing all thinky characters, right? You're playing some explory characters, some social, some thinky, some fighty. And I was trying to think of, you know, that's that's not very Sherlock Holmes, you know, necessarily. But mystery arcs in something like Young Justice, which I come back to over and over again, I kind of feel like supers shows because people's abilities are so different. I feel like those might be really good to look at for inspiration on how to bring in really disparate ability sets and bring them to bear on the same mystery. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, I I think that, yeah, super shows, I think any, any show that has like a diverse kind of ensemble cast where they've had to tackle a mystery, like, something like Buffy comes to mind. Yeah. Right. You know, where not everybody is, you know, super smart and just finding the clues in the books, you know, Buffy is more about, Hey, let's go punch people and get clues out of them. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Um, So I, I think that, yeah, something like that, where you have a couple of different character types that are kind of going about trying to solve the mystery is, is a good way to look at like, how do all those people contribute to the ultimate outcome? Exactly. Cool. I, I like that suggestion. So since we have kind of moved into our potties, uh, I will uh, start us off. Uh, my potty is a Kickstarter that is currently going. It'll be winding down towards the end when this episode uh, comes out. But it is a Part-Time Gods Second Edition, um, a tabletop RPG uh, Kickstarter. The cipher connection here is that Shauna is doing some writing for uh, this game uh, as it comes out. Uh, But basically, uh, this is a game where you play not really all powerful gods, but more regular people who just so happen to be gods as well. So there's this kind of balancing act between doing some of your godlike things and like having to like deal with things that are happening you know, in your real life. So uh, it, it sounds like a pretty interesting game. Uh, it's the second edition, so it's been out f- uh, for a while if you want to go and like maybe check out some stuff from uh, the first edition and just see what's out there. But uh, it looks really interesting, and I'm kind of excited to uh, to give it a try and see, see what comes of it. Yeah, I'm excited to see it too. Um, my Potity is another Kickstarter, but it's a, a Monty Cook Games Kickstarter that uh, is about to launch at the time of this recording and, and will be wrapping up shortly here when this airs. So go take a look. This is the No Thank You Evil reprint Kickstarter. Um, I've been doing some trade shows for Monte Cook Games and getting to speak to retailers and families. And man, No Thank You Evil is just kind of spreading like wildfire. It's a really good bridge between people who play board games with their kids and kind of transition to discovering role-playing games for the first time as a whole family. 
um, you know, it, it's helped. It's been used in a lot of different contexts to help uh, uh, kids develop better social skills and, um, you know, reasoning. And and it's being used in some therapeutic contexts. So it's just been uh, it does a lot of good for a lot of different people. And it's basically nearly sold out. So MCG is reprinting it and also adding some cool new stuff for people who might already have everything that's currently out. So it's going to produce some new adventures, which is something people have really, really asked for, and uh, some other goodies that you'll want to check out. And, um, and another cool thing is, you know, if you so if you have any family members or if you have kids or friends with kids, definitely bring this to their attention. But also we're going to be having kind of a special backer level for organizations that want to use No Thank You Evil for, um, you know, helping greater numbers of kids and, and, you know, libraries and, uh, and philanthropy groups and things like that. So definitely bring that to their attention too. We're hoping to do some real good with this Kickstarter and I'm very excited. Absolutely. Always excited for new Monte Cook games, Kickstarters, you know, yeah. they're, 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 you know, how we set our clocks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, uh, the last thing is another podcast on the misdirected Mark network. Uh, this, week we're going to talk about the gnome cast and hear several gnomes uh including once in a while darcy ross uh from gnomes to get together to talk about a gaming topic and themselves a little bit in an effort to avoid being thrown into the stew and hopefully entertain you their <laughs> listeners uh so uh you know reach out to us with any of the things that we talked about any uh things we got wrong or things you know ideas that you have around this topic of cipher and investigation uh the best place to do that is at cipher speak pod on twitter and you can also reach us by email with cypherspeakpod at gmail.com you can go to cypherspeak.com which redirects to our lovely misdirected mark podcast network and there you can comment on individual episodes um, and you can find all the information to uh, subscribe and and get us on your favorite podcatcher. And of course, we always appreciate when people subscribe and when people um, rate us on iTunes. That is always a really uh, heartening thing. So thank you to everyone who has done that. And uh, thank you to anyone who's considering it. Absolutely. Thank you all very much. So, Darcy, what is the greatest mystery in your life? Oh, giving me existential horror before the rest of my day. Thank you for that. <laughs> Cypherspeak is a member of the Misdirected Mark Podcast Network, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Oh.